Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. You know what's really important to me when I do business with a company is trust and transparency. I've been telling you now for a good while about my buddy Damon Burton and his company, SEO National, because trust and transparency are just as important to them. You know, for the last 15 years in the search engine optimization space, they have been leading the way and serving people tremendously well. Now, for those of you that don't know what SEO is, it stands for search engine optimization. It helps you show up higher on Google searches so that folks that are looking for what you have find you quicker. And you know what's really encouraging? More revenue, more sales, growing your business. Do me a favor, get in touch with Damon and his team today at SEO National at 855-736-6285 or go to seonational.com and get your free quote and tell him you heard it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. I hope you're ready because here comes a dynamite conversation on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. Got a question for you. Do you know what a people development strategist is? I have to admit that I do not, but I know someone who does. She is a people development strategist. You can find her on LinkedIn at Elena, E-L-E-N-A, Pastore, P-A-S-T-O-R-E, but you can find her right here, right now, on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Elena Pastori. Elena, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I am well. I am well. I like to start every podcast here because, again, as we continue to navigate through these uncertain times, I don't know what, you know, I, I always try to find you know, what, what's life been like the last, and it's hard to believe that we're coming up on almost two years. I know when the pandemic hit. I know. So take me through the last 21 months or so in your world, how it's been for you and may, and what's a lesson that you have learned from this whole situation that once we're out of this, you'll carry through. Hmm. All right. Well, I guess for sake of ease, I'll, I'll take you through the last 24 months rather than 21. So 24 months ago, I graduated my master's degree from the University of Florida in business. So that was December of 2019. And at the time I was working for a small business and a startup, both of which had missions and visions that really aligned with me and what I wanted to do. Um, you know, long story short, the pandemic disrupted a lot of our lives for a lot of different, you know, reasons and in a lot of different ways. Um, and for me with the startup not really working out, unfortunately, um, I decided to start my own business doing leadership and career coaching. And yes, I am a people development strategist is what I call myself because I like to, develop people and help them be the best, um, the best they can be and have the greatest impact in their careers, which of course, you know, carries into their personal lives as well. When you think about, when you think about, 
you, you go to work for the startup and, and you've got one trajectory, one course that you're going in, you're thinking, okay, this is, this is good. This is what I want to do. This is what aligns with where I am. And then all mm -hmm. of a sudden you kind of have mm -hmm. to pivot. Mm -hmm. Take me through the, the kind of the thought process there, because I know how I would be at my age pivoting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot of people pivot differently at different stages mm -hmm. of their lives. For mm -hmm. you, what what was it like for you to have to pivot that quickly after feeling like you were going to be somewhere that really aligned mm -hmm. with what you wanted to do and how you wanted to do it? Mm -hmm. It was a very gradual process before I really realized I needed to pivot and before I fully accepted that I had to, <laughs> you know, a lot of times when you really invest in something and we're in denial, when you slowly realize it's not working out and you want it to work out, but you have to do something about it and accept, you know, the reality that is in front of you. Um, but before that, in March of 2020, I took a pay cut with the startup to mostly work for equity. So I was mostly working for equity before the pandemic. Um, and then the pandemic hit. <laughs> So what so, was that like to, to have to flip your mindset? Because you, you come out of, you know, most most people when they come out of either getting their bachelor's or their master's mm -hmm. have an idea of, okay, I, I'd like to be in this salary range. I want to do this and that. What was it about the startup that you went to work for that you said, hey, I, I, I think in equity, because that that is an unusual, that's an unusual way, one, to start but two, to, to kind of, to, to take that entry point, what was it for you that made you just kind of go, okay, this feels like the right thing for me to do mm. taking equity over salary. So I had started with them a year prior in January of 2019, part-time while I was still in my undergrad. And, you know, like I mentioned before, so I guess I, I should mention the the goal of this start, the startup was an education technology um, company where they were building a software, an app that would help students develop their soft skills, track and develop their soft skills. And to me, that was everything. You know, I believed soft skills are so important. I believe in helping people develop their soft skills, capitalizing on their soft skills, knowing how to apply their soft skills. So I felt very aligned with the purpose that that company was trying to achieve. Um, and I really believe in the long game, which was why I said I would rather give up the short-term money since I don't sure. have a family. I'm not, you know, I don't have big financial liabilities. So to me, I felt like I can handle, you know, the loss of the salary for the equity because I think it's going to, it's a better long-term strategy. So that's what my thought process was. So, you know, I, I have a, I have a 21 year old son and, mm -hmm. and I agree with you. That a lot of times when, especially as, as you get, and, and I'll call them kids because I'm, I'm mm -hmm. much older, but, you, know, <laughs> but, but you, you, you look at 15, mm -hmm. let's say high school years, mm -hmm. 15, 16, 17, 18, mm -hmm. where you're really trying to prepare to go to college. Now, now here's what I will say in, in kind of taking the conversation this way. I think you're hundred percent right. Is that a lot of times we, we, 
we t- we train and teach to the academic things that you need for mm-hmm. college, but mm-hmm. we don't train, teach, and coach to the soft skills that you will mm-hmm. need once that part of your life is over. That college is college doesn't seem to develop, and, and I'm not trying right. to you know politicize it or anything like right. that. Right, right. What what I would say, Elena, is having in my in my past working with high school students recruiting them for college i think you're 100 mm-hmm. percent right in in the fact of you know what you know here, here let, let's go here for a minute to me i believe that we need to teach high school students how to connect beyond mm-hmm. their cell phone right mm-hmm. you know so 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 true connection is not just hitting a button to follow someone or mm-hmm. to friend request them on Facebook. It, it really takes developing those interpersonal skills to really understand what connection is all about. You know, mm-hmm. it's developing those, you know, study habits are great, but what are you going to do with the application right. of, of that? And so where did that really resonate with you? to say, this is something that I can help develop because especially, and, and I love what you just said about the, the startup using the technology to see a need and help develop mm-hmm. that need. Mm-hmm. Where was that resonance for you and how did that develop in you to say, this is something that I can align to and this is something really valuable that I feel like that I can add my skills and talents to, to help them move the ball down the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of great things there. So back at that point when I was in this position and then now with my clients that I have now, I see this common denominator, which is there's a huge lack of awareness around what skills are deemed important and how you recognize how you either have them or don't have them within yourself. So even with my clients that are, you know, adults that have been in the workforce for 20 or 30 years, people find it very difficult to articulate their intangible skills that they have, especially when, you know, kids or high schoolers are kind of more in a stage where they're being molded. I believe that there's a greater opportunity to kind of step in there and kind of be more of a teacher in the sense of showing them how they can develop these skills and why they should be important down the road. So the purpose of the app that, and the app was built. Um, so the purpose of that was to not only help these students develop the competencies where they needed growth, but also to realize how they are actually developing those, even though they might not be aware of how that's happening. Mm-hmm. So really connecting the dots from them into what they have, what they want to grow into. And then, of course, then applying that to a field or a career down the road. Well, and again, you've hit on something really important there. I I love what you said about a lot of people not understanding where their skills truly lie. And and I'll be honest, I, I wasn't real aware of my own until I did a strengths finder. A few years ago and said oh awesome you know, i did a clifton, i love that <laughs> yeah clifton strengths finder and and it was recommended by a dear friend of mine and she said listen just try this out you know you, you're going to be surprised 
at what you find. And I was. I was surprised that some things that I thought were strengths were a little bit further down the line. Some things that I thought, well, I'm not that good at were actually strengths. Do you find that that, that people that you work with have those V8, those same V8 moments that I call them, where they just kind of go, I, I wasn't aware. And, and what's the one thing that you see from folks? What is that aha moment? What does it look like when they find a strength they didn't feel like was a strength previously? Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of great things you could dig into there. So I use StrengthsFinder for myself with my clients. It's I love the assessment so much. There's so many great ways that you can learn from it and apply it. So I think it's great that you brought that up. So yeah, a lot of a lot of StrengthsFinder builds awareness in the people that take it for a lot of reasons. So like you said, things that you didn't realize were strengths. So a lot of times we assume because I like this and I'm good at this, therefore everyone else must also like this and be good at this. Therefore, you know, everyone wants what I want and, you know, I'm not special and, you know, and, and, and on and on. But we realize that a lot of the things, like I love, you know, public speaking, talking to large groups. And I know that that's something a lot of people have a fear of that's more of a clear cut example, but there are a lot of other things like that, that say I like, I assume everyone else likes it too. And therefore I don't realize it's a strength of mine. Um, so that's one way that StrengthsFinder kind of helps people understand Elaine, themselves. Let me jump in there because I, <laughs> I think you're, 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 you're hitting on something that's really, really important. And that is, is that we now have a society when you talk about, you know, I like what everybody else likes. I assume everybody else likes this. We've kind of built that around social media. So the thought of, okay, if I post a picture and it gets this many likes or it gets this many shares or it gets this many, you know, we've kind of quantified the definition of what we think good looks like. Mm-hmm. Or we think a strength looks like. In other mm-hmm. words, we 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 we've, we've kind of put a number to it. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, instead of saying, this is what I know about me that I do well, whether mm-hmm. anybody likes it or not. Right. Now it now it almost becomes a numbers game of, okay, I thought I did this well, but I only got this many likes, this many shares, this many retweets, this many this, this many that. Mm-hmm. And it almost kind of takes us in a direction of quantifying something that's really not quantifiable. Mm -hmm. How do people get away from from trying to quantify strengths instead of qualifying their strengths? Because, and and here's why I want to, here's why I kind of want to set that up, is that to me when qualifying a strength means Yes, I know this about me, and I can verify it through something like a strengths finder. I know this mm-hmm. to be true, and I can verify it instead mm-hmm. of trying to quantify it with a number. Am, am I am I going in the the right direction there? I'm curious about that thought. Yeah, so I've never I never really thought about it like that, but 
if you want to talk about qualitative versus quantitative and, you know, how many people like what I like. Yeah, let's go there. Let's go there for a second. Because, again, I think I think a lot of people try to get caught up in a numbers game in, in trying to say, I'm going to put a number on my strengths instead of saying, no, this is what I know that I'm mm-hmm. good at. This is what mm-hmm. I know about myself. Yeah, the first thing that I would say, which is sounds fairly simple, is what you alluded to, which is taking other people out of the equation. So how other people feel about it you know, just take that out of the equation entirely or or try not to think about it. And obviously that's much easier said than done, but taking it from, you know, really trying to focus on yourself um, because I think those kind of quality or sorry, quantitative measures come in when we start to bring other people in. And if we don't bring other people into what we are trying to do, then I think it's easier to think about it more qualitative and just about ourselves. Um, The other piece of it is, to help us think about it in a more qualitative and therefore a more unique kind of way to ourselves, um, I think is to look at your, again, if we're using StrengthsFinder as an example, looking at your strengths in pairs or as as a group. Um, So to give a little bit of context for those of you listening that might not know what StrengthsFinder is, it's it's an assessment uh, that tells you your top, it, what they deem as your top five strengths out of a bank of 34 strengths. So there's 34 possible strengths and they tell you what your top five are based on your um, responses. So let's say, for example, so my number one is includer. So let's say, Brian, you also have includer. And then we say, oh, on our team of 10, five people have includer, right? And then that's how you slowly start to identify it as a number. But if I say, oh, wait, I have includer and positivity, but you have includer and analytical, your includer and analytical will work together much differently than my includer and positivity. Because you might think about, oh, I, you know, analyze different data sets and I look at historical numbers and you're including all the different types of you know, figures when you're analyzing something. And if I look at includer and positivity, I'm thinking of, oh, I'm maybe I'm looking at all the events in my life and something bad might've happened, but my positivity allows me to see those inclusive events together as, you know, something that is, has well, meaning. I may want say. to take, I may want to look at analytical data and I may want to say, okay, I, I'm an includer, but I like to incorporate analytical data into that part of my strength yeah well you might while, while you may look at it and go oh data and just eye roll like oh my gosh you're mm-hmm. kidding me don't bring mm-hmm. all that and i'm kind of and to be honest elena i'm kind of like that I, i'm more kind of like i can appreciate analytical data but tell me what it says i i'm not i don't want to mm-hmm. break down a spreadsheet i, I you know i, I don't want to do that mm-hmm. Just tell me what it says, and 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 I think you're. I, I, that is so good because, again, I think we I think we fail a lot of times. We we try to say, okay, we're we're in the same group, and because we're in the same group, we we must think alike. We must, you know, we're we're gonna get along. Right. And 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 I love where you where you've gone and diversified that and said, wait a minute, yeah, we're in in a a group, but you're in one subset and I'm in another subset. Right. And it's okay because we can find some common ground that works well for us. 
to 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 function it. Mm-hmm. Let's take a quick break. I want to park there for just a minute because when right. we come back, I, I want to dive in a little bit further to how people develop themselves and taking, and I love what you said about looking at your own strengths and, and focusing there because, you know, Elaine, a lot of times, let me, let me just save that. Let me save that part of the conversation. I I want to go there, but let's take it. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about keeping yourself grounded, keeping, keeping all the other noise out, keeping yourself grounded This is a great conversation. I love where we're going with this. Elena Pastore joins me, a people development strategist. you got to stay tuned because I'm telling you, there's going to be more good stuff coming here on the Intentional Encourager podcast back in just a moment. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton here. The new year is upon us, and you may be sitting there thinking, hey, I would really love to pay off some debt, or I would like to save for that dream vacation. Maybe you want to buy a new car. Whatever it is you want to do financially in the coming year, let me give you a great piece of intentional encouragement and something to think about that might help you do it. Products for Profit. Now, this is a course taught by my good friend Joe Hart, who's been a guest on the Intentional Encourager podcast and has told his story how reselling changed his life. And you know what, folks? It could do the same thing for you too. It's really simple. Reselling is basically buying a product and then reselling it online for more money. And Joe is going to take you through the steps and show you how to do this either part-time or maybe as some of his students have done, take this full-time as well. Go to coachjoe89.gumroad.com backslash L backslash premium PFP. And oh, by the way, this group is going to help you find leads of products that are profitable right now, give you all kinds of great intentional encouragement. And you're going to be surrounded by a community of people that are going to want to see you be successful in the reselling game. Again, go to coachjoe89.gumroad.com backslash L backslash premium PFP and tell him you heard about it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Elena, before we took a break, and I was trying to stop mm-hmm. myself. I was, I, was really, I was trying to stop myself because I think a lot of times we we are so quick to try to get the um, approval, the applause, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. validation mm-hmm. of other people. And this mm-hmm. is where I believe social media has really almost crippled us as a society. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and again, it, it seeps into a company as well, too, because you, you were talking a few moments ago about working with people, different clients, and it tends to seep into companies, too, because, you know, now people, their, their validation is not what they themselves produce. It's what they believe other people think of what they've produced. Go there for yes. a minute. I, I know you're, I, I see you. If you're watching this on YouTube, Elena is chomping at the bit. So I'm going to back off and let her answer that question. <laughs> yeah, that's a big one because that's something that I struggled with myself when starting my business. I felt like I had a lot of great subject matter expertise. I knew what I was doing. I had the right experience, everything like that. But I didn't understand the difference between 
being confident in what I felt I had to offer and seeking validation from external people, whether it be clients, whether it be mentors, whether it be someone that I deemed as, I guess, a role model of what I wanted to be. So I said, and I still believe, I think I'm one of the most confident people I know. I am confident what I'm doing. I'm confident in my, not, you know, all that stuff. But when it comes down to executing, I would mistake, I guess, validation for feedback. So I'm always seeking to, I, I recognize that we can always improve and when anything we do, we can always get better at, you know, whether who, no matter who you are, what your work is, what your field is, you know, personal, professional, we can always get better. But I mistook that feedback and I was placing it as validation. Does that make Say where that right. It makes that perfect makes sense. sense. And and here's where I was what what I was kind of thinking as you were talking about that. A lot of times there is there there is two there are two types of confidence. There is internal confidence in ourselves, or to your point about validation, is that the confidence is, is boosted. Or maybe, you know, inflated, I'll say, by what we, by what other people or how other people say, what, what we get from other people. So in other words, mm -hmm. you know, and, and here's a couple of things, here's a couple of examples. And I, I want to, I want to kind of run these by you, mm -hmm. and get your thoughts on it. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people are confident in us when we start a business because you're talking about starting a business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're confident as long as they're not invested. <laughs> they're confident in you, but if, if it came to putting their money where their mouth is, so mm -hmm. to speak, mm -hmm. they would be like, Oh, well, well I, I don't know. You know, I, I didn't really want to invest. You know, there, there's that confidence until it costs something. I, I guess that's mm -hmm. a better way to, mm -hmm. to, to phrase it. The other way that I would say is this, and, and I don't know if you're like this, Elena, but imagine for a minute, you know, there, there are some people that are so comfortable in their own skin. They're so, they're, they're so they, they, they just, they're, they're free and easy. They're just carefree and mm -hmm. easy. And it's like, you know what, you know, we'll, we'll just, you know, and here's an, the, the example I'll make is this is one thing that I love about my, and admire about my wife. My wife's a barefoot girl. She doesn't mm -hmm. care. Mm -hmm. She just does not care. And, and you have a lot of people like that, that just go through life and go, I don't care, mm -hmm. you know? And it, by the same token, if you put hot coals in front of them, they would be just as fine and just as confident walking barefoot across those hot coals. Uh -huh. And and so again, it's it's the internal confidence that they have in themselves. Let's. I want to get your thoughts there on internal confidence as a strength, hmm. because I think we're getting to the point 
in our society where we're where internally confident people are regressing in favor of inflated confident people that that have a a air a persona a mm-hmm. a a facade maybe if you will mm-hmm. i hope i'm going mm-hmm. in the right direction because i i just i feel like you're really digging into something here mm-hmm. that really just speaks to us getting at us as as people getting back to real confidence and real strength mm-hmm. versus the perception of other people and what they think our strengths are mm-hmm. i know that's a lot to unpack but yeah the the con i i just i felt like the conversation was is really that's where i where this conversation is going and leading and i love it i I love where it's leading yeah let me see well i guess thinking back to my personal example some of the reasons why i might have felt and i mean you know and it took me a long time to realize all of these things and to verbalize them in a way that makes sense that I, you know, just did a year ago. I, I would not have been able to actually express that verbally because I didn't understand it yet. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm still learning about myself and still learning how to articulate this. But what I would say is I think the reason that I feel like I had a high degree of internal confidence and not as high of a degree of this external confidence that you might see of, you know, like you said, people on social media, um, having these facades, whether they're authentic or not. Yeah. I think it's because I know that I'm young and I know that age can be a factor of discrimination regardless of what age you are. But I think because I'm young, I look even younger than I actually am. (laughs) And, you know, I don't have 20 years of corporate experience like a lot of my colleagues do. And I think that my challenge with letting that internal confidence really shine externally as best as it could was because of those vulnerabilities that I felt like were hindering me. Yeah. So, and I think people, you know, other people probably have the opposite. They might have, you know, look great on paper. They might've worked at great companies. They might have written books. Um, they might be really attractive and have great, you know, social media, whatever it is, but then internally they might really lack a lot of that confidence, but they know to the world that they look really great and that they have a great reputation and everything like that. So I've never thought about it kind of as internal and external until, you know, this conversation right now, but I think that's a great way to, to highlight the fact that, you know, there's kind of two ways to look at confidence and then, you know, how that affects you. Mm. And knowing that you have to find how to regulate both within yourself. Well, Elena, it, it, it really comes down to, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is there's so many strategists out there. And, and, and again, I'm not saying anything about, I love what you do as far as people development. What, what I'm talking about is brand strategists or market strategists. Mm-hmm. And uh, to, mm-hmm. to your point, to your very well-made point, about people building what they want someone to look like or a brand mm-hmm. to look like or a personal brand to look like. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, the right picture, the right wording, mm-hmm. the right LinkedIn profile, the right this, the right mm-hmm. that, instead of using probably the greatest strength that a person can have, which is authenticity. Mm-hmm. 
you know, being, being, being who you are, being transparent, being that person that says, Hey, look, I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to be authentic. Right. When, when you work with clients, let's go here for a second. When you work with, with your clients, what's the one thing that most people say they want to develop within themselves when they work with you? Really, it's the basics, fulfillment, satisfaction and what they do, happiness, um, a sense of giving back to the people that they serve. Um, and not to say that a lot of them don't already have that in whatever it is that they're doing or whatever challenge they're coming to me with. But at the core of it, that's really what most people I think are pursuing. I've got one more question before we take a break. And, okay. and I, I'm curious about this. If Elena Pastore were a client of Elena Pastore's, <laughs> what is the one question that you would ask of yourself of, you know, because I know, you know, when you, when you talk to clients, you say, you know, what do you want to get out of this? If you could coach yourself a year ago, how, what, what strengths would you have developed within yourself as you were coaching you maybe a year or two ago? Wow. That's a, it's a pretty deep one. You know, it makes it a little easier to answer because I do have a coach that has helped me through starting my business. And he's worked with me on limiting beliefs. So if I could have coached myself a year or two years ago, I would have tried to expose those limiting beliefs within myself and asked myself, you know, why do I feel, you know, guilt, fear, around certain elements of starting a business, doing business, you know, having certain relationships, business relationships. And of course, to every problem, there's a, to every business problem, there's always a personal problem. So I would have asked myself why I was limiting myself based on those fears and guilt that I was feeling and would have worked with myself to get to the bottom of those so I could show up more authentically and more confidently for my clients. Where did, I've got one more, one more question and we'll, and I okay. promise we'll, get a, we'll get a break. <laughs> Where do you see the business of people development going in the next five years or so? Because I, I think where, where you're at is really good because again, mm. if, if we can, you know, if leaders can tap into more of their strengths, obviously mm -hmm. their people get better. Mm -hmm. If an entrepreneur can tap into more of their strengths, their business gets better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And therefore they can serve people better. They can serve their customers better. They can, they can do greater things. Mm -hmm. Where do you see people development going in the next five years? And what's the one problem that you feel like that your, your industry coaching and things like that. 
Where mm-hmm. what's the one need that you feel like you'll be able to solve? I definitely see the industry growing, especially as remote work takes off more and it becomes more and more of a um, a candidate's market. I think a lot of companies, and you know, I'm speaking mostly businesses, companies, larger organizations, I think are missing out on capitalizing on the existing talent that they have and that seeking a solution, which is being proactive about developing their people, seeking that solution only really comes after they experience a pain of high turnover, low performance, poor management, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, it's difficult because it's a hard sell unless someone has experienced that pain and is seeking a solution for it. But I think that as more companies, like I said, experience the pain of the, of the, the candidates market because of the remote work being so much more um, available and becoming more normal, I think that they will realize creating strong organizational cultures and cultures that harness your talents harness leadership, you know, develop, you know, all of the above organizational, organizationally, I think um, this industry will be more, I guess, sought after in the next five years as a result of those things, which I love because I think they're, of course, necessary regardless, but I think more people will see the value in it yeah. um, over the next few years. Well, there's definitely, listen, if if organizations are not intentional about developing people, yes, it, it's mm-hmm. you're, you're going to. It's the old axiom: if you do what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always got. Right. And so if we, you know, if you're not intentional mm-hmm. as a leader about growing your people, then you know how do you ever expect to to continue to to get to different levels and things like that? Let's step mm-hmm. aside, take a break, because I want to leave room for you to tell your story. And, and, and again, you, you've hit on it just a, a little bit. We'll go a little bit deeper as well. My guest, people development strategist, Elena Pastore, joins me on the Intentional Encourager podcast back in just a moment. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton. I want to take a moment and tell you about my friend Harry Spate and his new book, Selling with Dignity. Harry has taken an age-old concept of sales, and he's put a new twist to it, and I love the direction that he's taken with Selling with Dignity. And here's what's encouraging about Harry's book. Instead of viewing people as numbers and machines, salespeople are now given the tools and the encouragement to be dignified in their approach. Here's what Harry says. He says, selling is an honorable profession when it's done right. When sellers feel they're valuable and have integrity and respect. This opens the door for better conversations and eventually relationship. This book puts an end to sleazy sales tactics and proves why selling with dignity can be done and it leads to massive success. And I couldn't agree more. Go to sellingwithdignity.com, get your copy today. And if you want Harry to sign it, he'll do that for you. Again, go to sellingwithdignity.com and pick up your copy today of the new book by Harry Spate, Selling with Dignity. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional encourage your podcast elena let's tell your story and i want to and again i want to save room for you to go back as far as you want to go um but you know again i'll jump in with questions 
you know, as, as you, as you talk about things, but again, go back as far back as you want to go and tell your story. All right. Uh, so I've, I've listened to other episodes of yours and when people tell their story, they usually have this, you know, big moment where it was either a high point or a low point and it was something really, really exceptional, I guess, that happened in their life. And I don't know, I don't really have one particular thing that I would go back to as a real turning point in my life, I guess. Um, but I guess I'll start, you know, in my childhood, the biggest thing that, that happened. Um, my father passed away when I was eight and I was the oldest of three siblings. So I was eight and I had a sister that was five and a brother that was not even a year old yet. So that was, you know, really tough. And like you, Brian, my family is Christian, well, Catholic, went to Catholic school my whole life. So faith was something that we relied on a lot, you know, go to church, everything like that to help us get through. Do you remember much about your dad? Do you mm -hmm. remember, you know, do you remember that time? Because... I lost my dad at 40. I cannot imagine mm -hmm. losing my dad at eight. Do you remember what was, what was that like for you? You're, you're the oldest of three. You have a brother that's a year old. So, I mean, just a, a wee little guy, mm -hmm. you know, obviously you have more of that bank of memories than, than maybe, you know, your other two siblings. Mm -hmm. What was that time like for you and your family? And what was, what was that like for you being so young and experiencing loss that young at, at that young of an age? Yeah, I, I do have memories, you know, when you're, when you're eight, you can kind of remember <laughs> some things, especially when it's something that's profound. Um, so I do have memories, you know, some, and we have of course pictures and videos, but um, I'm sorry. What was the second part of what you asked? Well, again, it's, it's, it's traumatic losing. Oh, what a was it like? Yeah. What, for you, when you think back to that time, what, what do you remember most about that time? Um, and my heart just breaks because I cannot imagine being that little and just going through something that traumatic. Mm. Yeah. Well, so I guess I'll also add, it was sudden, it was unexpected. Um, so it was not like it was anything we saw coming, but you know, when you, when you're eight, you can understand that when someone dies, it means they're not coming back. But I of course didn't understand the social, you know, financial, economic implications that that had, like I, that was not even a thought for me. <laughs> All I could really grasp was this person isn't coming back and isn't going to be part of my life anymore. And that's obviously very hard um, and was hard, you know, growing up and being the oldest and helping taking care of the other two. Um, so I definitely grew up a lot, I think, through that process. Um, but the other thing is that when you're eight, you don't, understand at all about you know what type of person was he what was his character what was he like you know who was he 
you don't really, you can't really be a judge of character when you're so young. So uh, my dad was, um, he was in politics. He was the president of the city council where we grew up. Um, he was also a banker of a local bank. And um, when he passed, there were handful of articles written about him and about how he touched the community and people that knew him that just wrote little excerpts and it was in this article and I read it every year and every year that I read it I feel like I learned something new about you know who he really was and about who I want to be and how I want to you know kind of carry on his legacy and some of the highlights of over the years, the things that I, like I said, continuously read year after year um, is that he was very, you know, big into servant leadership, serving people, just being a good person. And, um, you know, I don't know how to phrase it better, um, kind of generic, but just the common themes of the things that people said about him inspire me to touch people's lives in the way that he did in the ways that I read about, but I didn't actually get to see. So if you that's my, my... I, I, forgive me for interrupting. <laughs> no, no, no. Interrupt. It's fine. <laughs> if you could sit down with your dad right now and you had five minutes, what's one question you'd ask him? Trying to think of just one. <laughs> because you, um, you you've started your business. Your dad was was obviously actively involved in business. You know, th there might be that business angle. You know, it might be the right. angle of, you know, hey, what do you think about you know, you you know, your dad was heavily involved in politics, like you mentioned. Maybe you want to ask him a political question or something like that. <laughs> you, you know, and, and I've thought about that, that and the reason that I ask is is that having lost my dad, you know, and it's been almost 10 years ago for me now, if I had that opportunity, I might go, I might, I might ask my dad, like, hey, you know what? H how do you think the last 10 years have turned out for your boy here? You know, I, I might do something like that. But, yeah. and, and again, I, I don't want, I know that's emotional, but, but I think there, there's, there's a lot of people that if if we if we just kind of looked at it at ourselves and said okay if we could have 5 minutes with that loved one and maybe ask him a question or just something like that that's just something i think about i don't know if you've ever thought about that and and forgive me for 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 no, no, sparking no, no. emotion there but you know you know when when you talk about your business and things like that i mean obviously your dad had a huge impact on businesses in the banking industry and in, in the community you grew up in. You you mentioned that you continue to learn something about him every year when you read things. I just wonder if that thought ever crossed your mind of, hey, there's there's really there's there's one thing I'd love to ask you if I could. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't to be honest, I really haven't thought about it, but it's a good it's a good thing to think about. But I would probably ask um how to live a good happy life in the way that I think he did 
um, and how to sustain that because, you know, like I said, the work that I do and the end goal of, you know, what I hope my clients find after our time together is really happiness and fulfillment in their work. And of course, as a trickle, as it trickles over into their personal life. And I think a job really should be about how you can monetize something you love and add value to, you know, the world or to someone else or another organization or, you know, whatever it is. And I believe everyone can be happy and do something they love and find a way to give, you know, value to that. And I just think happiness and fulfillment is the core of living a great life. And I would probably ask him how he, I think he did that at least in his life. So that's probably what I would ask. Did you find in, and again, was it, was it easy for you to kind of go in your own path? Because there are some, there are some times when, when children lose parents earlier in life that they tend, or, you know, children just naturally start to gravitate to what their parents did or do. Mm -hmm. I, I know for me, I was a journalism major in college and then uh -huh. I decided, well, my dad was a salesperson. My uncles were salespeople. Uh -huh. I could just go that way. And that's what I did. I kind of followed that, that laid out path. When you think about the path that you took, was it easier for you to kind of go in your own direction or did you ever feel that pull maybe to go into banking or to, to, pursue something politically or things like that did you ever kind of feel that that tug or that pull to to follow in those footsteps well more so than my mom so my mom is an optometrist um and a pharmacist and i am terrible at science so <laughs> that would not have worked out at all <laughs> but when i was in eighth grade my friends used to say that i would be the first female president <laughs> of the country which you know, I'm definitely not going into politics, <laughs> so that won't happen either. But, um, yeah, banking, I mean, there are quite a few people in the White House you could help develop. I'm, I'm quite sure that you could you could work very well with them and, and develop them and their strengths. Yeah, I mean, as far as politics goes, I like the idea of, you know, politicians are really supposed to serve their people and their community and take action on behalf of what the people want. So. Um, you know, I just think politics is so tough, especially in today's day and age. It's just, it's so, I don't know well, what word I know, want to use. The, the, I love where this is going. Let's go here for a second. Okay. You're a hundred percent right. Is that it, it almost feels like, again, that when you are elected to office, you're supposed to do what strategists think you're, and, and not, I know you're a, a people development right. strategist, but again, it, it's almost kind of like you lose the authenticity that you wanted to, to run on so people could elect you so that you could do what you were purposeful about doing. It's almost kind of like you lose yourself instead of, it almost feels like politics should be the opposite. Like, hey, Develop the strengths that resonate most with the people that you're elected to serve, not the other way around. You know, it, it would almost be like getting hired by a company and they hired you because they like this about you. 
And then when you actually got into the company, you go, well, hang on a second. I'm going to do the exact opposite of why you hired me and the strengths that you hired me for. Like, I feel like I should do this instead of what you hired me for. Does that make sense? I mean, I, I think you're, you, you, you've gone, you, you've hit on something there. That's really, I think really important to understand is staying true to yourself and staying true to what got you to the point of success and developing those strengths instead of scrapping everything else and, and, and doing something completely opposite. Does it, does that make sense? I think so a little bit. We try know. to make I mean... sense here on the intentional encourager podcast. <laughs> no, because Elena and, 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 and I, I, I didn't mean to take our conversation in a different no, direction, no, no, no. It's fine. but, but it's, I love what you, we, we, the, the idea and the concept is that I, there are a lot of areas in, in life, in business and politics where we've forgotten who we serve. Mm -hmm. We've forgotten mm -hmm. that we, you know, leaders serve the people that work for them. And making them better is is a core necessity of leadership, making your people right. better. Politicians right. have forgotten who they serve. It's not about lobbyists. It's about your constituents. Mm -hmm. You know, and, 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 and it almost feels like it almost feels like you're, you're scrapping the things, the strengths that make you successful, that get you to that level. So that you can take on all these other strengths that really don't matter in yeah. the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Where I do you think saying. that comes from? Working with people like you work with people, where do you think that deficiency comes from? Because it's not a strength. It's a, it's, a, it's a deficiency. Where do you think that that deficiency comes from? What do you, what do you mean? Which... I believe if you here, here's what I believe. And, and again, folks, I, thank you for riding this wave with us. Cause I love where this is going. When, when I look at someone who says, if you want a great leader, elect mm -hmm. me, if you mm -hmm. want a great leader, choose me. Mm -hmm. so in other words, they're telling you I'm a great leader. Trust me. Mm-hmm. And they don't give me anything that demonstrates mm -hmm. their leadership. So in other words, they're just telling me that they're good at something without showing mm -hmm. me that they're good at mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. To me, that isn't a strength. It becomes a deficiency because if I can't see it, how can I connect to it? Or how can I, how can I know what it looks like in you if I can't see it in you? Mm -hmm. and, I, and I feel like a lot of times that people mean well when they pursue those things, whether they, whether they, they're promoted into a leadership position in their company or they're elected, uh, an elected mm -hmm. politician. It's like, okay, I've, I'm here. Now I'm going to do everything else differently. Now that I'm here, than everything that I did to get there that resonated and connected and, and, and made, made me the leader that, that people thought I was going to, that, that I was supposed to be. And it just feels like a lot of times leaders feel like they have to adapt and mold themselves once they get there 
and kind of scrap and forget everything that the strengths that they built along the way to get them to that position. Mm. Do you feel like yeah. that's a deficiency in people? That's let me ask it this way. Is that a correctable deficiency in people? So I don't think people intentionally say, Hey, this is going to be my campaign. You know, again, politics. No, this is fascinating conversation. This is really right. fascinating. Regardless of the position or sorry, regardless of the context, whether it's in a company politically, you know, whatever, this happens all the time. I don't think people set out to say, okay, people, this is what I'm going to do. And then once I'm in this, okay, psych, I'm not going to do any of that. <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. think, for most of the time, I don't think that's people's intention. At least I hope not. At least I think most people, I don't think they intend to fool people just to get into a position. Right. I, I like to think people have pure intentions and it's just their flaws that get in the way of them actually executing what it is they say they're going to do. But I think I do think this brings us full circle back to what we talked about at the beginning about that external versus the internal confidence. And I think that strength that you're talking about isn't necessarily that they are the good leader or they are, you know, the servant, but it's that they're good at talking about it or they know the right words to say. And that's the strength. Maybe not that they're actually good at it. And, you know, who knows? Again, very, this applies to various contexts. Um, so I just, I, I think, a, you know, lack of awareness around what it actually takes to get some of those promises implemented and see them to fruition, you know, um, other personal flaws, or like I said before, limiting beliefs that again, prevent you yeah. from doing those things. So I don't think people really intend to say, ha ha, I fooled you, you know? Well, <laughs> again, I, I think you're. And forgive me for going all along with the conversation. No, no, it's okay. You, you, this is really important because now let's take it to the world of business. Is that a lot of people look at certain professions in business, and I'll say sales, marketing, and they'll say, you told me this and you delivered this. To your point about intention. You might have intended to deliver an incredible experience based on what you felt like you could do, and it fell woefully short. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you did intend, because your 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 buying experience or your product, you knew it was subpar, but you had to oversell it to get people to come to the table and buy it, and you'll deal with the fallout later. You know, and, and I and I think we've got a remnant of business like that, mm -hmm. and, and we've got a remnant of leadership like that. Mm -hmm. That that would be what I would call a trick artist. Like, mm -hmm. hey, you know, watch me saw the lady in half. You know, watch mm -hmm. me watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. N not you know, fully intending not to deliver mm -hmm. on 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 that that thing there and, and, and again elena i think it's so fascinating that at your at the point of life that you are and the way that you you think about these things like that it's obvious that that 
you know, even though your father wasn't around for most of your life, that influence is still shaping you. Mm. And, and I love that. I love that, that part of it. And I love what you said about just making sure knowing what you say, you know, being, being aware mm-hmm. of the things that you say and being aware of how, when they're said, that people will hold on to those things. Mm-hmm. They, and they, they will hold you to that standard and things like that. We could go on forever. I want to be <laughs> cognizant of the time. This is fascinating conversation. I hope you guys have enjoyed it as much as I have. Elena, I would be remiss if you did not share with us your biggest piece of intentional encouragement for folks that maybe want to develop themselves or they're, they're just kind of in that crossroads of, hey, I know I want to take myself, my personal growth and things like that to the next level. What's your biggest piece of intentional Mm -hmm. encouragement? My intentional encouragement would be to not get in your own way. And I'm sure a lot of you may have heard that in one way or another, but truly in my work of helping people develop themselves, the biggest challenge is people getting in their own way. So believe that you can, because the power of the mind is so strong and don't let anything hold you back. That is so good. That is, what, what a great way to end our conversation. Tell folks how they can connect with you, how they can find your resources. Where can they get more of Elena Pastore? <laughs> yeah, my email is the best way to contact me. It's Elena at ElenaPastore.com. And as Brian mentioned earlier, my LinkedIn is also a great way to contact me. So it's linkedin.com slash in slash Elena Pastore and my website, elenapastore.com. That is so good. I am so glad that, that we made this, this conversation happen. Elena, this has been fascinating. I I don't know. I hope you've enjoyed it. To me, it's been fascinating, the conversation that we've had. And, And again, folks, I would encourage you. To, to connect with folks like Elena, if you really want to, to really hone in deeper, stronger on what your strengths are, get with someone like Elena that can help you find that out. Elena Pastore, thank you for joining me on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Thank you for having me, Brian. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.